Red flags, but okay podcast beginning in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Uh, Lily will be on my lap probably the entire time because she missed me so much. Well, that's perfect. Welcome to Weird Flags <laughs> Podcast where Lily's on Jen's lap. And uh, I'm I'm Kate, my best friend, Jen. And <laughs> what's, what's our topic? What are we doing? We are doing our favorite trope of fanfic of all time enemies to lover we will start this podcast as enemies and we will end it as lovers i'm so <laughs> i love i i love this for us so much <laughs> i love this for us so much we are both passionate about enemies to lovers it's wonderful i don't know who starts does it matter who do you want to start i will start that sounds great to me great you're never my enemy, but you are my lover. So if you want to be my lover, you can go first. Well, Kate, mm-hmm. if you want to be my lover, you yeah. got to do a whole list of things according to the Spice Girls. Oh, my God. <laughs> you made that segue so perfect for me. <laughs> Which, by the way, we do not have like a shared Google Doc or anything. If you haven't figured it out by this point in the podcast, we don't know what's coming up. <laughs> In 2015, a co-writer on the song revealed what some of the meanings behind the song are. And so if you don't know what song we're talking about, because you, like, are just super lame, we're talking about Wannabe by Spice Girls. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. I will put, like, a little, like, parental guidance warning, because surprisingly, I'm sure to everyone, the lyrics are not appropriate. (laughs) The first lyric I will be discussing is... We got G, like MC, who likes it on a easy V, doesn't come for free. I forgot. Why did I forget that there, this song was this bad? <laughs> bad in the best possible way. But yes. Bad. So this lyric is referencing Jerry Hallowell and Mel C, which are Junior and Sporty Spice, and how they like to get it on, as some would say. Interesting. In this case, the unfinished sentence that kind of bleeds into the next line implies that they like to do the deed on ecstasy. I mean, a lot of people did. It was Mm -hmm. also the era that that was very popular. Yeah. Sure, we're doing that. The next lyric is the famous Zig a Zig a. Zig a Zig a. And this one's a pretty funny story. And the only reason is that there's parental guidance on this part is because of language. Uh, There was apparently a gentleman at their recording studio that was known for using the shared toilet to go number two while smoking a cigar. (laughs) (laughs) That's the story. So they would fondly refer to him as shits and cigars. (laughs) Oh my gosh, for real? Yes, and so Mel B, who is Scary Spice, was like the main um, Spice Girl to write this song. And so while she was working on it, this phrase, shits and cigars, kind of got thrown around a little bit. Um, And they eventually ended up using Zigga Zigga. I had no idea that the Spice Girls actually had any hand in writing any of their songs i didn't either i was shocked when this article like the writer said mel b kind of wrote most of the song that's incredibly incredibly surprising yes Um, mel b by the way as a human being is my least favorite spice girl i used to love scary spice 
but Melby is is scary, right? Yes, Melby okay. is scary, Spice. Because Mel C her, is sporty. I saw her on um like a couple quiz shows, a couple UK quiz shows, and she was so rude to everyone mm. that it was like startling. Like it took me aback. And like these are British quiz shows where they're just generally rude to each other in a funny way anyway. Yeah. I, could, I was almost startled and taken aback by the fact that she was that rude to people. And that's just oh. an aside about why I randomly don't like her. <laughs> Interesting. Well, she came up with the zig zig ah for I mean, shits it is and a cigars. Bang, so I'll give her that. Now when you listen to that song, just replace that with shits and cigars. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but also, how rude of that guy to smoke a cigar and go poop in a shared bathroom. I want to say, like, it was the 90s, but even then, I mean, come on. There's some you bathroom can't. etiquette, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that is how you will be my lover. If you got to be my lover, shits and cigars. <laughs> right? I think this question's going to answer itself. Jen, do you have an enemy? <laughs> Currently, it's Lily. I was going to say, how would you know? But we do know because Lily is currently trying her best to attack you. Yes. Um, is an enemy just someone that you can't stand? Does it have to be a mutual enemy like a nemesis? Ooh. I think I have some people that I classify as enemies. Most of them are politicians. <laughs> well, as it turns <laughs> out, it's the answer is kind of neither in both. And actually... A politician who doesn't know you exist kind of doesn't even fit the bill of an enemy, even though they are currently and constantly trying to wrong your physical body. So an enemy is defined as an individual or group that is forcefully adverse or threatening. So it is in a way a group like right-wing politicians, for instance, or something <laughs> like that. Um, but, kind, you know, I guess I guess it is kind of like in the eye of the beholder. You can have an enemy and not even know it. I believe what? I probably have some people who really, really, really hate me, and I don't know they exist. And that's great because my nightmare is knowing how I am perceived. I don't want to know if people like or dislike me. I just want everyone to forget I exist if I'm not currently in front of them. So if you could just do that. That'd be really great. Thank you. (laughs) Who are you? But yeah, in fact, there are multiple special words specifically for the act of having an enemy. And I think we need to use them all probably immediately. So it can be called enmity, which is hard to say. So I think we're going to like throw that one out. Um, And then foehood and foeship. I think since this is enemies to lovers, let's go with foe ship. So I yeah. ship you with your foe as yes. per the So those are some $5 words for you to use in the future. I can't wait to use foe hood and foe ship more commonly. I know. <laughs> foe ship. I feel like I, like I did get autocorrected typing in foe hood. It was like, no, absolutely not. And it was like, oh my God, I'm totally right. Stop it. But I don't think I've ever heard those words used in my life, and I really love them. I don't think I have either, but... They work perfectly. We're going to see them everywhere now. hmm All right. As we are recording this, Pride Month is coming to an end. Oh, Pride. We get, I, I can't be by anymore in a couple days. Yep. Sucks to so, say. 
In honor of that, I'm going to share some famous historical LGBTQ plus lovers that you may have not Mm. known about because history books like to ignore them. Or if they're referenced at all, it's just as like really good best friends. They're just like really good (laughs) friends. So here they are, the lovers that history tries to ignore. And I'm only going to cover a couple because there's like a ton out there. But these are ones that I think like most people will recognize the names. Okay. First up is Oscar Wilde and Lord Alfred Douglas. Mm Hmm. Douglas is said to have inspired Wilde for his famous book, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Interesting. Yeah, but unfortunately, Alfred's dad was not a fan of Oscar Wilde and had him thrown in jail for two years for gross indecency. A lot of people weren't weren't loving it. Yeah, because that's just how historical white men be sometimes. Next is Virginia Woolf. And Vita Sackville West. Mm. It was a brief affair. They met in the early 1920s and they started at, as friends and then went to lovers. So that's another trope, friends to lovers. But that's that not is today. my second my second favorite yes. trope is is friends to lovers. Well, this was a friends to lovers to friends story. So they met in the early 1920s and they ended up kind of splitting up, ending their love affair in the late 1920s, but they remained good friends. And interestingly enough, both were married at the time and their husbands were both okay with the affair. Oh, that's great. That's interesting. Vita Sackville West was in an open marriage, so that's why her husband was like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, Virginia Woolf's husband apparently just wanted her to be happy and liked seeing her happy. Oh, that's so nice. I think during that time, there was probably a lot more like open marriages and stuff than Mm -hmm. we think. I think because people didn't really marry for love very often during that time. It was was usually a marriage of convenience or a financial marriage or something like that. Marriage of convenience to lovers is a great trope too. Of course. Marriage to get out of a sticky situation. <laughs> well, you know what I say? Go for them. Gal pals, go for them. Gal pals, yes. So another pair was Walt Whitman and Peter Doyle. Oh. Peter Doyle was just a simple streetcar worker. Oh, so and some people still to this day will debate whether Walt Whitman was in the LGBTQ plus Uh, community but he also had several close male relationships throughout his life so guy pals leaning towards it guys being dudes just guys being dudes what's better than that (laughs) especially because the two men would often go to a hotel after Doyle's shift ended for the day so i just Just go hang out in a hotel room by themselves you you have to get it you have to get a private room to hang out we all know that yeah we know And then the last one is Tennessee Williams and Frank Merlot. And this one's kind of sad because uh, the playwright and actor, they had a relationship that lasted 14 years until Frank Merlot died of lung cancer in 1963. And Williams kind of fell into a depression and wasn't able to bounce back from the death. And so they were like really in love. And that's sad for Tennessee Williams. That is very sad. I love Tennessee Williams. Yeah, so you may have noticed a theme of writers and poets, and that was definitely a thing in history, was in that kind of field of art. We saw a lot of varying 
sexual preferences. Yeah, I mean, I think the arts are definitely somewhere that people felt more comfortable going, the creative arts and stuff, mm-hmm. if they were uh, like in that that area of alienation. They probably felt a lot more mm-hmm. among their own people, which I think is is great that there was kind of an area to have that, of course. Yeah. You could be a little more flamboyant. Yeah. Or, little. or if you were a writer, you could be a lot more private, which was yeah. fantastic. And it was a safe community. Yeah, that's good for them. So let's rewrite them. some history books out there. Yeah, no more, no more gal pals. There's of course gal pals. Jen and I are gal pals, mm-hmm. but let's maybe not uh, just have some big fat gay erasure. Get rid of yeah. your gay erasers. Stop erasing the gays. <laughs> uh, one that I didn't forget that I feel like is a little more well known nowadays was uh, Emily Dickinson. There's the Apple TV show with oh, yeah. her. Um, but I feel like that's a little more common, commonly yeah, people, known. Yeah, and she did write a lot of letters that it's pretty hard to ignore. <laughs> yes, so I tried to get some that were maybe a little less known. Yeah, I mean, I will also say that Oscar Wilde was probably the gayest person who ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> but was his lover that? No. <laughs> but I think that I think that he was perhaps the gayest man on the planet, which is great. I love that for him. Okay. I'm going to get extra comfortable. I'm going to scratch my butt and then I'm going to swing this <laughs> microphone right in front of me. Because <laughs> this one's really long. I have two really long ones. At microphone, I really wish that you would be more convenient for me personally. All right, Jen. Mm-hmm. You're going to freaking love and hate this story, okay? This is a very <laughs> lovable and hateable story. Eleanor Powell was raised in a happy, middle-class family in Milton, Massachusetts. Though Eleanor was Black, she didn't experience that much overt racism in her community as a child. She went to integrated schools and lived in an integrative and, and progressive neighborhood in Milton. Her father had served in World War I and instilled a deep patriotic duty in her. She truly believed in America and her place in it. Imagine her surprise, though, when she joined the very selective Army Nurse Corps and was sent to a training base, actually not at all far from where you are right this moment, called Fort Huachuca. Yeah. Did I say it right? You did. Okay, I wrote it up phonetically. This is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) She was sent here because she was black and the slaps in the face had just begun. Hey, Lily. (laughs) Eleanor, a second lieutenant, was then sent to Camp Florence, also not terribly far from you, to serve at a detention facility for Axis prisoners of war. You see, black soldiers weren't allowed to treat white soldiers and white women weren't left alone with German men for fear of them getting frisky. And the military's official stance on it was that they believed that German men would be so grossed out by black women that they didn't have to worry about fraternization. They actually, like, said these things out loud. (laughs) So embarrassing. Kind of uh, the worst timeline. So that left the black nurses to care for them. Eleanor and her fellow nurses took their jobs seriously, even though they were treated as lesser humans than the prisoners that they were overseeing purely because of the color of their skin. So I think it's really important to realize that the reason why we hated the Nazis during that time was not because we were a country who was so, who were so above these like racist and anti-Jewish ideologies. 
that was could not be further from the truth. It was the mm-hmm. fascism. You know, it's the fascism for me, fam. So it was at the time the whole idea of the Holocaust and everything like that. Very few people in the U.S. actually knew about that, and the reality of it was there was a myriad of political reasons why we were actually fighting the Germans at this time. The actual racism part, we didn't really care about that at all. Of course which not. meant that it wasn't until the very end of World War II when we had hit an absolute stalemate in a nurse shortage and there was just nobody left that they even let black nurses touch white American patients. So keep that in mind. Her experience in the army was, to say the least, humiliating. She was not having a great time. But Eleanor was in for an even bigger surprise. One day, she walked into the mess hall for a meal with her other nurse pals and was met by a Nazi prisoner assigned as a cook. And it was love at first sight for both of them. (gasps) Yeah. He says that the instant he saw her, he was under her spell. And... On her end, she felt the same way. She was so impressed by him. He was funny. He was sweet. He wanted to see her smile. The man she met was Frederick Albert, an Austrian Luftwaffe medic. Frederick had grown up in a well-to-do family, the son of a successful engineer and business owner. Unlike Eleanor, who joined the military out of civic duty, Frederick was a conscript. So he had been drafted into the military. Their relationship was extremely dangerous, though I will point out that only Eleanor really had anything to lose. He was already a prisoner of war living in another country in, no offense, Jen, in Arizona. So he (laughs) he didn't have a lot left to lose. (laughs) Listen, no offense to anyone who lives in Florence, but also lots of offense to anyone who lives in Florence. It's not a great place. (laughs) Some Arizona shade. (laughs) We're just really... (laughs) Really, <laughs> there's a reason they had the prisoner wars of wars there. <laughs> yeah. So, in spite of it all, Frederick was deported back to Austria in 1946, leaving behind a gift for Eleanor. She was pregnant. <gasps> yeah. So, and also, she is, is a, a fanfic. <laughs> it feels like it. Oh my god, it feels like it, doesn't it? Um, so, <laughs> keep in mind that she is now a black single mother in the military oh, in man. 1946. America loves those. Yeah, America does love those. And she did just return home to Massachusetts to live with her family. They were in love. And as nonsensical as it was, Frederick actually returned to America to marry Eleanor in New York State, one of the only states allowing interracial marriage at the time. It was still about 20 years before loving the Virginia. <sighs> hopefully that doesn't go away anytime soon, that allowed federal protection for interracial marriage. Over the years, they moved quite a bit, even returning to Frederick's home in Austria for a time while he took over his father's business. He had trouble finding work and housing was often out of the question, even though they were relatively well-to-do. The issue wasn't at all that he was a literal Nazi. (laughs) The issue was that she was black and that their children were black, that they had interracial children. No one wanted to or would allow an interracial couple to live near them. And their children had trouble being placed in schools. They even had to use the power of the NAACP to help them get their children into schools of their choice. 
Eventually, Frederick, who was a passionate baker, oddly enough, got a job with Pepperidge Farms, and the family moved to a neighborhood called Village Creek in South Norwalk, Connecticut, which is a whole bunch of things that are hard for me to say. <laughs> Try saying that. South Norwalk, Connecticut. Village Creek was genuinely a prejudice-free neighborhood where all races and ethnic backgrounds and even the gays could live and live safely during that time. They lived out the rest of their lives there with their two sons, and Albert passed away at the age of 75, with Eleanor following 10 years later at 85. It's a sticky story and a really interesting one. These two were just two people who saw the world completely differently from the reality that they were living in. They both served countries and ideologies that they didn't believe in and ultimately chose the difficult path of loving each other over that ideology. If you want to read more about them, it's not a fanfic. It is a really well-written book and it was written by, I'm trying to remember, Alexis Clark. So I read this book a couple years ago and it always struck me as being so good that I was startled. It had never been made a movie. Um, and it's actually called Enemies in Love. And I think part of the reason why it may not have really gained as much traction is that it's not a story that was told very often. Um, Alexis Clark is one of the only people to really bring it to light in detail. But I think the other thing was that they didn't make all the right choices in the eyes of the civil rights overlords. They ended up giving their sons a lot of identity issues later in life because they never addressed the issue of race inside their home. Mm. And so as time went on, their one of their sons ended up being a very, very successful musician. But their other son has always said that it caused a lot of problems for him where he just didn't understand until it was forced upon him the differences that were ahead of him. And they never really talked about it. And they also didn't really address the issues of World War II and the things that Germany had caused and the issues there and the overt racism that was happening in the world around them. They decided to build a bubble and that's their right to do that. But I think that it may not come off as these like powerful warriors for civil rights because that's not what they were. They were just like middle finger. We're going to disappear. We're going to move house until nobody notices us. We just want to be together. And they were. So that is the story of Eleanor and Frederick. And it is such an enemies to lovers. It is such an enemies to lovers. I can't believe I'd never heard of that. I I hadn't either until I picked up that book and it was really fascinating. Those are really great like history stories, like learning about the things that maybe only a couple people have like covered, Mm -hmm. but it's just like insanely insane. (laughs) Yeah, it is is pretty (laughs) crazy. Well, I have to wonder also, I mean, to think that America was treating at the time was treating Eleanor so poorly, like she was in this like very selective army nurse corps where very few black women were ever let in. And she worked so hard and then she was sent to just the armpit of, of, you know, possibility of duty station possibilities by no fault of her own. And she was being humiliated repeatedly by the military, by the United States, all of this stuff. And whenever she looked at somebody who was literally in the Nazi military, I mean, he obviously did not hold Nazi ideology that we know of, but she looked at him And he was a safer choice. He was more accepting. 
Mm-hmm. What does that say about, you know, what does that say about America? I mean, he gave her more safety than the American military did. Yeah. So that's just, you know, some food for thought. But it's a great book. If anybody ever wants to read it, it is a really fantastic book. Enemies in Love by Alexis Clark. All right. Mm-hmm. Here's Lily again. She's oh, hey, going to walk on the keyboard. <laughs> Sorry. She it added. Uh, it was it clicked on the line where it says the shared toilet to take a number two while smoking a cigar. <laughs> Thanks, Lil. She was like, I'm just going to add some edits. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> okay. Kate, you're going to love this next topic, pun intended. Mm-hmm. As the podcast resident witch, let's talk mm. tarot cards. Yay! You know I love reading tarot. Specifically, you guessed it. The enemies. Just kidding. The lovers. The lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if I just went with a completely random, different one that had nothing to do with lovers? <laughs> what if we did? I'm trying to think of like a terrible. What if? What if we did the tower card? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is the sixth trump card or major arcana card in a traditional tarot deck. It represents attraction, love, beauty, trials overcome. But when reversed, it can represent failure and foolish designs. I was about to say, you don't want that girl reversed. You do not (laughs) want that. If this card appears in a spread, it can mean that you may have a decision about an existing relationship or a temptation of the heart, or a choice of potential partners coming in your life. Mm. And it is often associated with the Gemini star sign, so much so that in some decks it's known as the twins instead, which feels weird. Yeah, I don't, uh, I've I've, I've never personally seen a deck like that, but I don't like that. I'm just gonna say I don't like it. Yeah, and it's also associated with air, mercury, and the Hebrew letter Zayn. Great. And that's this this card is brought to you by <laughs> Air, Mercury, and Zayn. Um, so that's just the lovers. The tarot card, the lovers. So as Kate said, you do not want it reversed. That's all I got. What do you got to give to me? Did I did I get it right? Did I miss did anything right. exciting? I do you I think you probably had your tarot cards read by me before. Yes. Maybe. I know, I know I've had, I've, there's been a couple people that like grew in kickball and stuff. I would read tarot for you. Yeah. Um, there are a few cards that when I pull them for people, I'm like, oh, good for you. You know, and like, I think the lovers, when people pull it, they're just like, they're thinking it's going to be like something really sweet. And that doesn't necessarily, like you said, it means, it means choice. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is. Kind of like tough choices or um, having to make a choice of the heart. And I think that's yeah. A, a good it's a good card but that i i'm terrified of reversed cards all the time i pull them for myself and i go all the time but that doesn't even if something is a failure or you made the wrong or it's implying you made the wrong choice or something like that that's not always a bad thing sometimes it's just kind of informing your decision and i am not a person i think i've said this before but i'm not a person who necessarily believes in magic i believe that your mind is able to do fantastic things. I don't think I can bend a spoon with my mind, but I think that you can talk yourself in and out of so many things. You can talk yourself in and out of success and failure and love and all these sorts of things. And I think that tarot is a really great way of giving you the confirmation bias that you need to apply yourself to certain things. 
And that's why I like it. So witchy in the sense that it tricks your mind into believing that you did the right thing or believing that you need to change something in your life. Mm-hmm. That's what it, that's the use it is to me. Do I wish it could tell the future? Yeah, absolutely. I wish a lot of things could tell the future. Well said. I do love Thank it. you. Yeah. Jennifer, you and I are both fans of spooky, witchy locales. Yes? Yes. 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 Um, well, I have one to add to the Weird Flex tour that you're going to love. And uh, it's in Greece. And I've never been there and I want to go. Ooh. I know. I really want to go it. to Greece. I will warn you, I simply cannot pronounce any of these location names because they're in Greece, like I said. So just, um, you know, bear with me. My my friend Kathlia is Greek. And she will just say things like they're not nonsense words and letters and sounds. <laughs> Like, great. Thank you. I don't know what she said to me at all. So let's travel to the Vikos National Park in Greece near the Albanian border. So we're talking about the top of Greece. We're not talking about the beautiful beaches and stuff. And we're going to the Timphi and Smolikas mountain ranges, probably. <laughs> there, there you will find two alpine lakes surrounded by kind of an odd looking terrain. The odd combination, I forgot of, and then I made this a whole different sentence. The odd combination of lush grass, thick block ice, and high elevation leaves these lakes with almost a supernatural appeal. Their origin story is just as mystical. As the story goes, the lakes were formed by two enemy dragons, each claiming ownership over their own mountain range. The dragons were at war and hurled rocks and trees at each other, leaving deep divots in the otherwise solid ground. Over time, the holes filled with rainwater and became lakes, and the dragons made peace, shrinking down to tiny alpine newts that still inhabit the area. The lake is the lakes are called Draco Limni, I think. Literally, Dragon Lake. I want to go there right it's now. It's so pretty. It's so spooky and pretty looking. I love that story. I love folklore and mythology for like explanations for how places came to be the way they are me too i love it too i I like to and it doesn't it's interesting too that it's like greek but it doesn't have this like and a god did it yeah it's just some dragons were fighting yeah it's just like these two dragons don't worry about their names and they were just throwing stuff at each other and that's where these lakes came from it's so much more interesting than just actual geology so yeah it's super (laughs) relatable Well, I also have a spooky place for our road trip. I'm excited. In honor of having just visited my sister and my beautiful little niece, dedicating this paranormal fact to a haunted location in Spokane. Ooh. I sadly did not actually get a chance to visit it, but it's going to be on my list next time to go there. Man, I want to go there. All of your pictures that you sent, including the pictures of the actual Bebe, were so they made me want to go there. <laughs> Even just these pictures of like a baby and just like anything behind the baby. And I'm like, yeah, I could visit. <laughs> All right. You hear that, Sarah? We're going to come visit you. All right. I'm on my way. Uh, so we're going to be visiting the Bing Crosby Theater. Interesting. Which back in the day was known as the Clemmer. The it was still a theater, but it was called the Clemmer. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I like Bing Crosby Theater better, personally. 
<laughs> literally anything other than that it's great we're gonna just it's a short one but we've got a pretty like notable ghost here you know so the story starts with two lovers from lewis and clark high school that had planned to meet at the clemmer and then they were going to run away to seattle where they would live happily ever after okay only the guy never showed up yeah, I mean, yeah. that sounds like a man, but okay. <laughs> so he left behind the young woman, and she was so heartbroken, she threw herself off the balcony of the theater. Ladies, don't do this. Don't do this. Because now she's stuck at this theater, waiting for him and haunting it. Yeah, and also, he's not worth that. <laughs> I don't know him, and I don't need to. Go to Seattle yourself. Yeah, Make your go own live your happily whole ever, ever after. <laughs> yeah. Well, so guests can still see her on the balcony. Her apparition has been seen and staff when they've been working late in the theater or alone in that area have felt her presence. Interesting. So moral of the story, two young lovers meeting up to run away. Not a good idea. It doesn't work out that often historically. I recently watched, what was that movie I watched? It was like 19... Juliet. Romeo, Romeo, Juliet. Juliet, Romeo plus Juliet, the best movie ever, <laughs> which I will say a lot of people do not like that movie. I love that <gasps> love movie. Love that movie. Like, I don't even like Claire Danes and I like Leonardo DiCaprio enough to like both of them. Ugh. But I love digress. that movie so much. Young lovers, don't do this method. Don't do this. <laughs> don't young lovers. Stop being young lovers, first of all. Um, that's a ghosty spot um is the theater pretty or is it abandoned it was pretty oh, so it, it is, is it open small? i believe okay. it's like a like a live theater like type theater not like a movie theater um, yeah but it looked really pretty and from the photos so okay yes yeah, so we're gonna have go to there. go check it out i never oh, thought and- i'd say this but i'm a little tapped out on abandoned buildings right now so i'm looking mm-hmm. to only go to pretty locales at the moment yeah this one looks like like a really pretty old theater Okay, I'm in. Let's do this. And um, even better, I believe last podcast on the left covered it. <gasps> Did they? I think oh, that's, so. You know, that's my favorite podcast. I know. I think I saw it pop up, and I was like, "Oh man, Kate's not going to be impressed. She's probably well, already listened that one, to it." So may- that must have been one that skipped past me in my desperate yeah. plea to listen to everything they've ever done in the last. Like, <laughs> so you'll have to go listen years. to it and find out more. I, I believe there's like a janitor ghost and the previous owner is a ghost or previous managers a ghost there's a couple there i think that if i were this is just me if i were a ghost somewhere and somebody worked there for a while and they were pretty cool i would find a way to this would be a this may be a movie or it could be a good movie I'm like is this another fanfic idea coming up yes i would find a way to make them die there <laughs> so that we can <laughs> hang out forever <laughs> i feel like that's an episode of charmed I'm sure it is. It probably is. I, that's what I'm saying. It's, got, it's such a bland idea, but I like it so much. If it wasn't a fanfic, it is now. The Guess real right enemies later. to lovers. Enemies to lovers. Uh, no, it is a lovers. movie. It's called The Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just reinvented the wheel. Okay. <laughs> I love that for us. All right. This one is going to be a long one. And Ooh, I that's think- what she said. Yes. Mm, I'm going to work on, I'm, I'm working on containing tangents. 
but <laughs> this is going to get away from me. <laughs> there are few things that you want to be less than an enemy of the state. What's mm. worse is specifically being a singular enemy of the United States. Lots of people are pretty common to be an enemy of the United States. We are big time hot for having enemies. So terrorists, activists, there are tons of ways to fall out of favor in the U.S. The biggest and scariest, though, is to commit treason. And I am on record as saying that I don't care about treason. Clap, clap, clap. I don't care about treason. That is <laughs> not the wisest thing in the world for me to say as someone who frequently works for the federal government. <laughs> but what I am saying is that if I had a big old whistle to blow, if I knew that someone was doing something wrong, harming people, things like that, I would blow that whistle to whoever would listen. And I do commend people who do it. Obviously, countries need to have certain things secret. There are definitely things that deserve to be secret. There are also things that people just don't understand and are too complex for your everyday person to really get in those in every decision kind of isn't meant for everyone to make. But alas, we live in a democracy, allegedly. So in America, we even have a favorite trader, everybody's favorite trader, the people's trader. And that Benedict is Edward Arnold. Snowden. Oh. What's that? This is Benedict Arnold. <laughs> no, um, it's Edward Snowden. So his name is synonymous with intrigue, secrets and honesty in the face of massive backlash. It's all very sexy spy stuff. At the end of the day, though, it couldn't be less sexy and Snowden could not be less of a spy. In 2013, Edward Snowden was a 29-year-old computer security consultant for even consultier consulting agency Booz Allen, which is one of those like 10 publicly traded companies that runs our government and you never hear about them at all. There are a couple quote-unquote consulting agencies, which that just means nothing, um, that completely run our government. And that's not a conspiracy theory. None of this, <laughs> by the way, none of this is when I say like, they run the government, blah, blah, blah. I'm not Hillary's emailing anything. Like these are all things that are completely true, real things. This is not conspiracy theories. So he was capable of a great deal more than most other analysts. And he had worked in Intel and counter Intel for multiple government agencies without issue. For the most part, he really didn't care at all about the details of the job. He just really liked being around complex technological problems and having the skill set to fix them. Snowden was working on a data collection project that everyone else he worked with seemed to be like oddly chill about, though, and it was leaving a bad taste in his mouth. The program was one of many programs taking part at the time who were doing similar things, and it was called PRISM. It was an all-encompassing all-encompassing dragnet program that sprung from the fetid loins of Dick Cheney and David Addington's favorite child, the Patriot Act. <laughs> Everybody loves the Patriot Act. Nobody loves the Patriot Act. For you. you see, after 9-11, America was so caught up in becoming a Toby Keith song that we kind of let anything slide when it came to privacy protections under the law. We were convinced that everyone was either a terrorist or best friends with a terrorist. And what PRISM did in a nutshell was we collect internet communications from internet companies and providers such as Google, Apple, Yahoo, Paltalk, Skype, blah, 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 the list goes on. 
they collect all of it. They collect tons and tons of metadata and they put it on servers and keep them. Under existing law at the time, PRISM was supposed to collect only targeted data of foreigners, only foreigners. Hello, problematic, but whatever. And store it in deeply difficult to use ways that wouldn't make us feel at all violated because we have protection under our constitution of certain privacies. What it actually did was collect unbelievable amounts of metadata on millions of Americans and non-Americans alike and store it in a way that was easily keyword searchable by several federal agencies. This violates our Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. Under our constitution, the government can't spy on you for no reason. Snowden didn't want to be part of it and felt that the American people had the right to know what was happening. How he went about it and everything that he did to get to that point is not necessarily something I agree with. Um, He did align himself with Julian Assange, which I am not cool with Julian Assange at all, even outside of the fact that he was a literal rapist. And that is actually why he was stuck inside of the Ecuadorian embassy for a very long time, not because of governments not liking him. It was because he was a rapist. If he left the embassy, he'd be arrested for rape. Um, But I also just hate Julian Assange. Um, But he did it anyway. So in May of 2013, he took collected top secret data in the form of slides detailing PRISM and about 10,000 documents and gave them to journalists from The Guardian that he'd had minimal contact with to that point. He then took a leave of absence from his super cake job in freaking Hawaii and flew to Hong Kong. Then all hell broke loose. The leak didn't just show all of the stuff that America was doing to Americans. It showed that it wasn't about terrorism at all. It was about spying on both enemies and allies, tracking leaders, and being snoopy, nosy creeps via the internet. Snowden needed to get out of Hong Kong and get to a country that would allow him to safely stay without extradition to the U.S., He got a few offers from South American countries, and on June 23rd, he boarded a plane to Moscow to get out of Hong Kong because the heat was oh so hot. Snowden had zero intention of working with the Russian government or spending any time in Russia, contrary to popular belief. The entire reason he ended up in Russia, where he now resides full-time and has for the last nine years, is because the U.S. canceled his passport And he couldn't make his connecting flight to Ecuador that was arranged with the Ecuadorian government via Julian Assange. He ended up living in the airport for a time before finally being granted asylum in Russia, where he is today with his wife, who he married in 2017, and their new son. He does have a limited capacity passport that will only allow him to travel directly back to the U.S. to stand trial for treason. (laughs) He makes a living doing speaking arrangements through teleconference. As for the act itself, it's shined a bright and inescapable light onto the realities of what the government is willing to do to its own people and lie about. While courts initially ruled that the government was not overreaching, in 2020, a federal appeals court did find that the NSA actions were illegal and unconstitutional, which I stand by that. I do fully believe they are unconstitutional. Two independent White House commissions 
found that mass surveillance programs had never stopped a terrorist attack to this day and should be ended. They are predominantly ongoing, and we have even more mass surveillance systems currently operating in the United States. There's one of them listening to me and you and you and you and all of you right now. Somewhere, someone in the government and private companies are collecting your metadata, your voice, your likeness, and your emails. So I just want you all to remember that and feel that at all times. <laughs> if you have an Alexa, if you have a phone, if you have a computer, any of that, somewhere, something is tracking you. And for the most part, Americans are actually totally okay with it. And it might be maybe because they just don't realize it. Snowden himself says that he doesn't regret what he did and he believes that it's necessary. He said that if he ends up in Guantanamo, he can, quote, live with it. So that is an extremely pared down synopsis of Edward Snowden, America's favorite enemy of the state, and how he got to where he is today. It's so complex. I could probably do like a 25 part pot on it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Jane's dreaming and apparently she agrees. Jane Jane's more of a Chelsea Manning than a Snowden. (laughs) That was very well done. Thank you. I just, when Kate goes, this is a long one, I just like to settle back in my chair and just listen and pretend I'm listening to our podcast. She was sitting so far back, the only part of her I could see was actually her bun. (laughs) I could see her bun barely moving in the corner of the screen. I just like immersed myself in it. Yeah, just listen up. I could rant about government surveillance forever, but I won't because (laughs) none of you want to hear that. I just, I know when Kate says it's a long one and I'm going to try and avoid tangents, I'm like, oh, I'm in for a treat. I got to get comfy. (laughs) Jen, part of the reason why Jen's my best friend is because she's one of the only people willing to listen to me go, okay, listen. (laughs) (laughs) And then talk for 45 minutes. (laughs) I did send her a text while she was visiting her sister that was like, if you want to chill in your notes, that's fine because I am elbow deep in the Patriot Act right now. (laughs) She did. So I was waiting for it. And when, when it started, I was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. I want to also say, I know that there's a lot of people who are like, if you leak any government documents, blah, 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 blah. Like you actually are a traitor. Um, There's a lot of secrets that need to remain secrets. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of secrets that are secrets because they're making people money. And that's where my issue lies with yeah. them. And in that sense, release National Treasure 3, the book of oh secrets. We're going to steal the book NSA. We're going to steal the entire state of Hawaii. <laughs> also, like, how do I get a job? With Booz Allen, where I get to just be in Hawaii spying on people. Yeah. Also, if you were like, um, I don't really care if they know my location data. It's not just that. It is actually nude pictures of you, personal conversations. It was part of the NSA culture at the time that they would like see a picture of somebody naked and like turn around in their chair and be like, yo, look at this. So it and goes beyond just metadata. Let's talk about the recent Supreme Court decision. And period tracking apps that the government will now have access to. So um, I used to use the Flow app whenever I was Mm -hmm. 
having issues of fertility and I was trying to get pregnant and stuff like that. I don't have it anymore, but like it is when people are like, well, how could they use that data? How could they use any of your data? Yeah. There's always a way. There's always a way. And all of that is, you know, that the health data and stuff like that. But man, do you want to, do you want to briefly talk about the Supreme court decision? I do actually reference it in my first sentence of my last topic. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I figured we'd probably go more it. into detail about it at the end and do our little soapbox moment. <laughs> yeah. Cause I do have a little bit I want to say about it. And I thought about saying something at the top of the pod and I was just like, maybe let's give people a reprieve for just a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't so have anything crazy your... to say. Everybody no. knows from our like Instagram <laughs> stories, my stance on things. <laughs> This is your advanced warning that after we go through all our topics, we will be giving our our opinions. And yes, and uh, please actually listen because I'll listen yeah. to you. If you have any, I mean, you could literally email me your opinion right now, and I will read it and I will listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's all I got for Ed- Edward Snowden. Hit me with your best shot right now. All right, we're gonna jump in the way way back machine, but only a little way back. Actually, we're just gonna go to the 1950s. Oh, not Which, too far. Okay. Supreme Court's pushing us back there. Oh, thanks. So. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that was my line. Supreme Court, go burr. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a tale of a young couple that's going out for a drive. Mm-hmm. And they're going to a lover's lane where they can park and talk. <laughs> oh, you know, my, uh, my hometown has a lover's lane and it's actually just where all the rich people live. I love that. <laughs> that is my lover. <laughs> That's my there. lover. It's a bunch of rich dudes in their McMansions. While they're parked there, the radio's playing their favorite jams, and then suddenly it's interrupted by a news bulletin, and a deranged murderer has escaped from the prison. Okay. The girl wants to go home, but the guy's like, nah, nah, we're safe, baby. Let's just keep hanging out here. Man, murderers love to go to makeout spots. And they're not even making out with anybody. Yeah. Suddenly, they hear a noise outside the car that sounds a little bit like a scraping sound. Mm. The girl finally convinces the guy to leave, and so they do. And when they arrive at her house and he gets out to go walk her to the door, he sees a hook on the roof of the car. Jane is actively snoring, but no, low me. So clearly, my storytelling needs some work. <laughs> This, of course, is the infamous urban legend, The Hook, and it has some variations on how it ends. Sometimes, you know, the boyfriend disappears, some, and then sometimes the, he leaves to go investigate the sound and comes back and the girlfriend is dead. But it always takes place on a lover's lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you aren't familiar what a lover's lane is, it is not a neighborhood of rich people. Unfortunately, I mean, it is in Kate's hometown, but (laughs) in general, it's a place where people can go to park their cars and make out or do It's usually like an overlook spot or just like Mm -hmm. an empty, like the end of a dead end or something. It's a make out spot. It's pretty secluded. And well, the hook always takes place there. This urban legend that's been around forever. Um, it's believed to kind of have started in the 50s. A lot of times the stories take place in the 50s. It's the first note of it being like pub- published was in a Dear Abby article on November 8th, 1960. That reads, Dear Abby, 
If you are interested in teenagers, you will print this story. Great start. Great start. (laughs) What? First of all, love Dear Abby. My mom used to read me Dear Abby's. But also, what a weird origin for like one of the best known urban legends ever is Dear Abby. What? I don't know whether it's true or not, but it doesn't matter because it served its purpose for me. A fellow and his date pulled into their favorite lover's lane to listen to the radio and do a little necking. (laughs) Necking? The music was interrupted by an announcer who said there was an escaped convict in the area who had served time for rape and robbery. He was described as having a hook instead of a right hand. The couple become frightened and drove away. When the boy took his girl home, he went around to open the car door for her, and then he saw a hook on the door handle. I will never park to make out as long as I live. I yeah, hope only make does- out well actively driving. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this does the same for other kids. Jeanette. Well, Jeanette, listen, you, I don't, I'm, by your tone alone, I'm guessing no one's trying to neck with you, girl. <laughs> Calm down, Jeanette. <laughs> So this urban legend has been around forever. And a lot of times the original purpose it served was to shame young adults from like having sexual actions and even Mm -hmm. just making out or necking was considered shameful. And so it was kind of used as like a warning of, oh, my God, did you hear about that couple with the escaped convict? And, you know, so the lover's lane was a really good general location because there's almost every town has one. And so it could have been in any city and anywhere and happened to anyone, you know. And so we saw it a lot as that, like, this is what happens if you do these sinful acts. Nowadays, it's like, we see it in so many different, like, horror movies and TV shows and books. It's always the hook is referenced and even if it's just like a little simple reference even spongebob has like a very similar <laughs> reference SpongeBob to it. loves teens <laughs> <laughs> and um then that's the story of the hook in lover's lanes what a fascinating so maybe, origin story maybe don't go necking yeah stop necking so much jen had to do all her necking in the middle of the desert for god's sake yeah jeez <sighs> nobody went to lover's lane to do any necking I'm trying to think of where people would go. I guess people would go to the beach, maybe. Yeah. Or, like, everybody, there was always, like, a bajillion party houses where there was, like, a cool mom who, if you're going to drink, just drink here. That's where – that was, like, very synonymous in my town. Mm-hmm. So you'd always go hang out with the cool mom. And then you could – I guess you could neck all you want. Every time yeah. people say necking, I love that phrase because it makes me think of how giraffes fight. Yes. Where they like smack each other with their necks. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. I just picture like two people going. They're just walloping each other with their heads. <laughs> One of the absolute greatest things about having enemies is insulting them. It's honestly the only benefit I can actually <laughs> think of to having enemies. Our Greco-Roman counterparts took it to another level with the implementation of what's called curse tablets. These were known as defictions i don't know there's an es at the end so i don't know how you're supposed to say it i guess this kind of also ties into me not being able to say anything in greek they were equal parts magical prayer and pure unadulterated spite for your pleasure i am going to present a list of ancient greco-roman insults that can be used in your everyday life for enemies real and imagined 
And these are just kind of my gift to you, Jen, and you listeners as ways that you can insult people. I can't wait. So number one, we have a second century CE tablet found in the UK. A lot of these were found in the UK. I think cursed tablets were a big deal in the UK. And if you're just like, what were Greco-Roman things doing in the UK? There's a lot of history that I'm not going to get into. <laughs> just give it a goog. So this, fa- this tablet was found in the UK and it contains pointed bitterness towards someone named Tacita. We don't have a single bit of information about what Tacita did. But the tablet oh. said, Tacita, hereby accursed, is labeled like old putrid gore. So they're saying basically that Tacita is like an old scab. Oh, like a gross old pus scab. <laughs> so that's gross. Love that for Tacita. Number two. Once upon a very long time ago, a Roman man was chilling in the baths. When someone stole his gloves, these must have been his favorite gloves. He was so mad that he went on to insult this unknown enemy in a tablet. That These are carved into tablets. It's not even like writing on a receipt. <laughs> it makes in me think of the, the cutter's gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback to last episode. The fettiest gravestone ever. This is exactly on the same vein. Uh, so... <laughs> So he got so mad that he went on to insult this unknown enemy in a tablet that survived for thousands of years. Thousands of years this tablet has survived. It says, Dachimedes has lost two gloves and asked that the thief responsible should lose their minds and eyes in the goddess's temple. Ooh. That's a good one, right? Yeah, it's a little little extreme for the loss of two gloves. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think so. There was quite a few of these that I read. <laughs> I read this in a journal article. I read all about these. But some of them, a lot of them had to do with petty theft. <laughs> like a weird amount of them were like, you took my gloves. Or like, it wasn't even like you stole a horse or something like that. It was like, you stole something I set down. And that's enraging. So here we go. <laughs> I'm going to carve this, put it in my grave for the rest of my life and keep it. All right, but this one is my favorite, last but not least, a tablet after my own heart in both anger and rambling descriptiveness. It says, I curse Tritia Marie and her life and mind and memory and liver and lungs all mixed up together and her words, thoughts, and memory. Thus, she may be unable to speak what things are concealed nor be able. All right. We have no, like, these tablets gave very little, other than, like, the Dachimedes one, where we know it has to do with two gloves. Yeah. None of them gave any further information Ugh, about what know. happened. But this know. one gave a name. <laughs> <laughs> and also the whole, like, life and mind and memory and liver and lungs all mixed up. And, like, it's just <laughs> so good. <laughs> all of it. Just, I hate your guts is really what it says. <laughs> But that is my, that's my top three of the, the curse tablets. And you're welcome to use those in your everyday life. And I think that we might need to bring back curse tablets. I think so too. Shall we citation street? We can citation street. Uh, you went first, right? Yes. Okay, great. The Spice Girls wannabe was from a Glamour mm-hmm. article. The famous historical lovers 
was from historylist.org, which sounds like a new website for us to get lost under. I'm there. That's where I'm going tonight. <laughs> Uh, the Lover's Tarot card was from Wikipedia. The Bing Crosby Theater was from SpokaneTalk.com. Mm. Has a list of all their other haunted places. And Lover's Lane and The Hook was from Wikipedia. Oh, right. What is an enemy is also from Our Lady Wikipedia. Eleanor Powell, that information came from... Enemies in Love by Alexis Clark and an interview on NPR's Code Switch that I found very informative. Draco, Draco Limney came from Atlas Obscura. And Edward Snowden came from The Guardian, BBC News, a mini doc recorded by Snowden's lawyer in Hong Kong, and an absolutely insane, unhinged, but amazing interview with John Oliver, where Snowden put it all in the context of dick pics to make it more relatable. <laughs> and the curse tablets that came from mental floss a january 1994 journal of early christian studies and the british museum and also roman inscriptions of britain.org which is a great website that actually exists <laughs> so i just finally moved my um my dock out of the way and got to see the angle that you've been looking at of me this whole time <laughs> I've tried to reach a point because my big red chair is going to have to go soon. I actually have to put a desk in this spot and my chair takes up. I have, it's a, like it's like a 1920s wing back chair and I don't have room for it. So I'm trying to utilize it as much as possible. And I've gotten to a point where I'm now almost completely reclined while recording. And Jen can only <laughs> see from like right under my chin to up my nose. <laughs> it's great angle. It's, it's so gross. You're welcome for that. Um but Jen and I do want to briefly talk about um, the recent Supreme Court pile of decisions that they made and kind of the further implications of of what's going on there and where that's going to take us in the future, which is not a place I love right now. So, Jen, what do you have to say? Um, I just have to say that, you know, abortion bans, it's said all the time, but they don't actually like ban abortion, they ban safe mm -hmm. abortions. And it's no one's business if that's what you decide to do and your choice to make. Um, and so it's actually really awesome. Arizona is starting um, an Arizona amendment, a petition to get an amendment made on. So to get it on the ballot for the reproductive freedom. Mm, so basically giving us the right to choose in Arizona. So there is a, um, a lot of places, depending on what county you're in, if you are an Arizona listener, that you can go and sign it. So I encourage everyone who's an Arizona listener to go out and do that. I did that yesterday. Friend of the pod, Mariah, and I <laughs> drove to three different locations till we finally found one that actually had the petition to sign. So that's... That's, I think, my main message is do something, you know, don't just complain and whine, get out there, do something, help, you know, um, spread information on resources that are available and inform people on the benefits of having reproductive freedom and choices and sign that petition. I think that that does bring forward kind of the real message that I think is important right now. And that is that um, outrage is not activism. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And like you and, you know, best friend of the pod, Mariah, went out and you, you know, you're doing the little things to put your money where your mouth is. And that, and, and what it's going to come down to is finding a way for your state to codify into law reproductive freedom. So I live in Ohio, which is a state that sat on this abortion ban, trigger ban, like it, like their life is depending on it. They are so excited to live in a world where women and people with uteruses do not have the right to choose. And Arizona, the people of Arizona, hopefully are able to actually codify this into Mm -hmm. law. There are states who have done this. I mean, Illinois is right next to me and they are a perfect example where it is in their state law to have the right to choose. It is a protective right. But, um, you know, and you can do things like voting, of course, is one of those things. Yes. You know, helping bring awareness to the fact that these issues are being voted on because a lot of people don't know they're being voted on at all. Mm -hmm. Local elections are where the big kind of, I think, our governmental failing of the people comes in a lot of the time because yes. where do all of your senators that actually make decisions, your state senators who are making decisions, your representative, where do they come from? It's your local yeah. elections. Your, your sheriff that sucks butts came from a local election. You know, like your district attorney who's obsessed with, you know, putting children in jail or whatever it is your district attorney is mm-hmm. obsessed with. That's local elections. Your judges, local elections. That's where the stuff is really coming down to the wire with a lot of these things. And I think this is a great time to pay attention um, because local elections are coming in November. And specifically Mm -hmm. for Arizona, we have so many people running for like state Senate and like governor that are just they're bat running on these platforms of against Roe v. Wade, against Griswold versus Connecticut. A lot of the Arizona like people running, there's a specific person and I don't want to say his name because I don't want to give him any attention. Like, but. I know I will not be voting for him, but he is running against Griswold versus Connecticut, which would allow states to ban sell the selling of uh, contraception. So it's insane, right? It's insane. And I think yeah. I think one of the really important things about this is that obviously this is about and, and the Supreme Court is saying basically that it is a state's right to make this decision. Mm-hmm. But what it comes down to and where the outrage is coming from is that these are things that all of us, so like Griswold versus Connecticut, um, Loving versus Virginia, which is something that has not been no- noted necessarily, but mm-hmm. probably because Clarence Thomas is in an interracial relationship and he would never hurt himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a lot of different things when it comes down to gay marriage, stuff like that. All of that, it these are things that when the Supreme Court made decisions about it previously, we got to sit back and say, now I can take a breath. Mm-hmm. This has now been a decision that is made by the Supreme Court saying that I'm protected. And these protections exist federally and we're going to be okay. And now when you have to sit back and fight for your life constantly, you can never fight for progress. And that's what it comes down to because What they're saying now is that if you are not a cisgender, heterosexual, white male who is a Christian, none of your rights are inalienable. Mm -hmm. And now they've shown that our right, our, our federal right to reproductive freedom and privacy to make that decision on our own with our doctor is now 
an alienable right. <laughs> that is now a right that we cannot sit back on our laurels and have it. In for me personally, in the state of Ohio, that right's being taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the resources that if I were to need to, I could travel to Illinois. Most people living in my area who would need that don't have that resource. And so the Most people, who, people are going, who need yeah. that in any area yeah. don't have those resources. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem is, like you said, we are both lucky that we, if we needed yeah. to make that decision, we could do that. I, Arizona, luckily, is one of the few states, surprisingly, um, that does not have a trigger ban. Yeah. There are still, it's not super friendly towards abortion, but they didn't, they weren't ready with a trigger ban in place. And yeah. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's very difficult to think about it because you always have the people and everybody has them in their life who look at it as like they believe that they're saving a life by making abortion not accessible. And if you are a person who calls yourself pro-life, which I don't believe that pro-life is accurate, you're anti-choice because pro-life, why are you not putting this energy into fighting for death row inmates? Why are you not putting this energy towards indigenous women who are being killed at a much higher rate? Why are you not putting this exact same energy and standing on courthouses screaming with pictures of immigrant children? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you only caring about a fetus? And the reason for that, and you cannot argue against it because you know it's true, is that a fetus cannot tell you its opinion. Mm -hmm. A fetus cannot say... I think you're racist. A fetus cannot say, I'm not a Christian. A fetus can't do any of that because it isn't a sentient being who can make you feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I I am a mother and I am a mother of daughters. And I'm also somebody that at one point in my life did not have the right to choose. And at one point in my life did have the right to choose. And I think it's really important that everybody feel safe where they live Mm -hmm. and feels like they have the opportunity to succeed in whatever way they need to. And when you make somebody have a baby, you are taking away a lot more than you think, a lot more than you think you are. So I think that, um, yeah, it's a deep issue, but at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you don't want an abortion, simply don't have one. Yes. There are people out there that are made to be parents and made to be moms. And that is like they're you, that is what they Mm -hmm. are on this earth to do. And they're still pro-choice. They may never get an abortion because that that's who they are, but Mm -hmm. they're not taking that choice away. And that's who we should all be is. And um, so I also want to say for all our listeners, because ideally we have lots of listeners everywhere. Please send us any local resources you have if there are local petitions or local um, funds to donate to. And we would be happy to share that on our Instagram page to make sure that all that information is getting out there. Because I think it can seem daunting in situations like this where you're like, what can I do? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody does want to act. And I think that that's going to be very good and bad in some ways where like people are giving an unprecedented amount of money to like Planned Parenthood and stuff like that, which Mm -hmm. is great because Planned Parenthood is a huge organization and that's very easily. My mic, my mic that I charged overnight. (laughs) 
It was like, listen, I've had enough of you. I think my mic might be pro-life. <laughs> <laughs> Your mic was like, and you guys, you said it would be a short one and you don't have a lot to say. And <laughs> we're talking for 10 minutes about it. But yes, what I was saying was that I think everybody wants to give money to these huge organizations and blah, blah, blah. Or people want to start their own funds and stuff like that. Please mm-hmm. do not do that. Do not start your own fund. No. There, there are, are plenty out there. There are ones out there that are run by people who know how to do that. And I promise you, you don't know how to do that. So (laughs) if you want it, if you have the resources to give money, find places that are doing that in a way that you personally align with and you're really interested in and um, give to them. You can, there's different volunteer opportunities, blah, 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 blah. Um, But being outraged is not going to change anything channel your outrage into something that's actually going to help people um and you have every right to be outraged but also if you're mad about this then you have to also show that you're mad when all these other supreme court decisions are being overturned Mm -hmm. because if you are mad that you just now as like for instance i am a a white woman in america who is middle class and i'm losing Mm -hmm. a right and i will say this is the first time in my life I have lost what is what was supposed to be an inalienable right, but there's people who have been losing them all along and there's mm-hmm. people who never got them to begin with. So take how that feels and keep that in mind when you see other people losing things. Mm-hmm. And um, one last thing on my end is Joe actually made a good point of how, and it kind of goes into what you were saying of how we, the Supreme court makes these decisions and we feel like we can lean back and rest but they're just decisions. They're not laws. And mm-hmm. so try, that's what's great about this amendment for Arizona is it would make it an actual law. And like in Illinois, it's a law. And so try, taking those and doing that, not just for reproductive freedom, but all these other Supreme Court decisions that make seem like common sense and seem like they shouldn't should be protected naturally, but could just be easily overturned by six... Yep old dudes yeah by, yes acb is an old dude we don't we don't <laughs> consider amy coney barrett to be a uh a human yes and that's not being anti-feminist that's being anti-amy coney barrett yeah but um yeah that's all we have for you so <laughs> if you are currently serving on the supreme court um i would like you to possibly just burn the building down that you're in right now um, I don't believe that the Supreme Court matters in the United States anymore because I think the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> That's just hot takes with Kate, burning hot takes with Kate, who also apparently loves freedom. Um, if you have ever been to any haunted theaters in Spokane, anything like that, I would love to hear about it. And I'd love to hear about it soon. Um, also, you can tell us the resources that you maybe have for people who live in a haunted theater. Um, any resources that you have in regards to Supreme Court decisions that uh, are very adversely affecting people or could be in the future, or if you just want have like a point that you maybe want to bring forward, or if you just have a topic you want to share with us, go ahead and send that to weirdflexpodcast at gmail.com or weirdflexpodcast on Instagram. You can DM us and we'd love to hear from you. So that's all we got, guys. See you later. I also want to throw in there real quick. Send us your favorite enemies to lovers fanfics. Oh, we'll read them. We, will, we, will we read won't read them. them out loud if you don't want us to, but we'll read them to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't want, we won't tell people that you've been reading like, like a Naruto fanfiction in the middle of the night. <laughs> 
SpongeBob and Squidward enemies to lovers. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.